Um, it's a delight to uh, have you join us today. Just waiting for those microphones to go down. Uh, if you're regular, it's also great to have you. We delight in people coming each week, not just one-off. So it's great to have you back if you're regular. Um, let me, uh, as you flick over back to Malachi, those couple of pages before, because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. As you, let me draw your attention just briefly to the, the purple notice sheet you receive each week. Uh, on the back, there's an opportunity for you to put notes and also... During the week, a chance to go over what we look at on Sunday morning. I haven't brought it to uh, people's attention before, so let me bring that to your attention. Also, there's a, later on there'll be an opportunity to, to tear off that response slip at the bottom uh, where you can give some uh, feedback or your thoughts, your, your reflections, your prayer requests, anything you want to let us know of, uh, there's an opportunity for that later on. And so, uh, yeah, we'd love you to, uh, to let us know if you've been here regularly, let us know of any questions you might have or comments on Malachi and what we've been learning there. Uh, and if you're just passing through, well, it's great to, to know that you visit among us. So uh, take advantage of that later on. But how about we pray and then we'll turn and look at God's word. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you gave it uh, thousands of years ago uh, and it spoke powerfully to your people then. And that you've preserved it and by your spirit it keeps speaking powerfully uh, to us even today, even this morning. Uh, We ask this day that you would speak to us. Uh, Make yourself clear and plain and work in our hearts and minds that we would uh, respond rightly to your word. That we'd be reshaped and remoulded by it. That uh, it would strip away our imperfections uh, and reshape us in the image of Jesus whom we love. In his name we pray. Well, be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. Uh, there's a great song by the Australian singer-songwriter Paul Kelly by that title. Uh, the second verse has these words. Uh, be careful what you want now. You might be so sorry. You finally make it to your place in the sun. You stop, you look round. You're friends with no one. Back to the chorus. Be careful what you pray for. You might just get it. Prayer, um, personal prayer particularly, is one of the few times where we actually articulate our longings. We speak them out. We, you know, they're always there, but we don't often draw attention to them. In, in personal prayer, they come out. But sometimes we don't grasp exactly the cost of our longings and our desires. Sometimes that fulfilment of desire is actually more costly than you ever could have imagined. And if you'd known, maybe you'd never have asked. A lot of Sydney homeowners are discovering that at the moment. Uh, Record number of home repossessions had occurred last year, uh, mostly in Western Sydney, uh, and the rates this year have actually increased another 20% on top of that. Sometimes our longings are more costly than we could imagine. Be careful what you pray for. Uh, A couple whose marriage was going through a particularly rough patch decided their solution would be to have a child. Uh, life wasn't though straightforward. Uh, they found themselves unable to and turned to adoption. Uh, eventually they were given what they asked for. Uh, a young baby was now theirs. Uh, but sadly the stress of caring for that little one was too much for them uh, and it sent their marriage under. Uh, be careful what you pray for, you might just get it. Uh, 500 years before Jesus had turned up, Israel posed this question to God. Where is the God of justice when you need him? Uh, So 2 verse 17, if you have it open in front of you. uh, You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, 
and he is pleased with them? Or where is the God of justice? Now there is a time for the cry of justice. Uh, There is a time to pray and ask God to deal with evil and it's natural and it springs from a variety of different sources. At points it's a cry born out of real pain and real confusion. So 60 years ago, Elia Weissel, a survivor of Auschwitz, recorded the following story. The SS hanged two Jewish men and a youth in front of the whole camp. The men died quickly, but the death throes of the youth lasted for half an hour. Where is God? Where is he? Someone asked behind me. As the youth still hung in torment in the noose after a long time, I heard the man call again, Where is God now? Sometimes that cry for justice is out of pain and confusion. Sometimes it's out of though that concern for others, that altruistic concern. You know, hearing news reports yesterday of continued strife in Darfur, Uh, the cycle of poverty and civil unrest and civil war, uh, accusations the West aren't doing what they could do to help and you might wonder, well, why is it that God doesn't just step in and bring some justice there? Uh, But other times we, that cry for justice has a more sinister tinge, you know, when it's the longing for vengeance rather than merely justice. Uh, A friend um, had been done wrong in a job that they'd taken. Uh, The manager's mistreatment well, really flowed on to damage the whole family. Uh, my friend found himself in a place where all they wanted was for God to bring that boss down from their heights. You know, it was more than justice. They wanted the boss exposed. They wanted him brought to a crashing heap. You know, where was the God of justice there? And then there are the times we ask that same question just out of pure and self, simple self-interest. You know, we, we put it in terms of a search for justice, but, but really what we want is... I want something better and they have it. Uh, Psalm 73 is a great psalm. If you've never read it before, it's worth reading later on today. Uh, The writer there struggles with that feeling. He is struggling with envy. He's wondering, why am I doing it tough when the wicked who go and ignore God, they seem to enjoy the life, the easy life. It's, It's wealth and health for them. And I suspect most of us have found ourselves at some stage in that place, asking for the God of justice to turn up what we really mean is, why can't I just get what I long for? So whatever the motive, whatever the reason for crying for the God of justice, it's the cry of the human heart. I think most of us would have found ourselves at some point calling out for justice, uh, for maybe one, all of those reasons. And it's right to do that. It's right to call for justice. Uh, But this morning as we, we delve into what Malachi and this oracle through Malachi has to say to us, there's a salutary warning. Be careful what we pray for. We might just get it. So 500 years before Jesus turns up, Israel cry out for justice and I think it's from the darker end of the calls for justice. It's from the self-interested end. In 2.17 uh, we're told God's wearied by them. They're wearing him down by asking that question. He is sick and tired of hearing their accusations that he doesn't care about evil. Because the context matters, if you've not been here before, that the context of this conversation is that God has a blazing passion for his people. He is committed to them and they are half-hearted and go through the motions in response to him. 
And they offer God leftovers and they wonder why it is that he doesn't give them what they want. They don't actually have a real respect for God, a real reverence for him. Uh, They don't actually respect other people either. Um, Last week particularly we saw that in the way they relate in marriage and the way they treat one another there. They are people who do evil but they think they're okay because they do this kind of superficial, heartless religiosity down at the temple. And so Israel are upset. Things aren't as good as they'd really like it to be. They feel like they're suffering and it's not their fault. You know, previous generations, surely they did something wrong and we're copying it. They're complaining, they're unhappy, they cry to God for justice because, well, at least whether it's real or not, in their perception there is a gap between what they deserve and what justice is. Their cry for God's justice really is, uh, in the context of the letter and the time, the, 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 the prophecy and the times, it's a call that God might punish, not them, but the Persian authorities who are running us. Essentially, they want what the Persians have. And God is tired of it. Uh, he's tired by them questioning his character. Uh, Proverbs 17:15 says, Acquitting the guilty, condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. In other words, God actually does care about evil. And yet Israel accuses God of being pleased by sinners. Where's the God of judgment, they say. Where's the God of justice? Well, be careful what you pray for, because you might just get it. They're waiting for God to come and destroy the Persians, but have a listen to his answer. 3 verse 1. See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. They prayed, God, we want you to come in justice. And he says, yes, I will come. And Malachi is ironically using the language of passion in verse 1. You know, that they desire the Lord and and, and that the one they are seeking when the whole way through the letter, it's actually God who desires them and they're indifferent to him. They're only lip service towards him. They question God's tolerance of evil. So not only will a messenger be sent, but God himself will show up. And for people who are going through the religious motions, uh, they're thinking, you know, we're pleasing God. They'd be thinking, oh, this is super. Great, God's going to turn up himself and deal with the issues I have. But hang on. He's coming to where? He's he's come to the temple. No, 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 they'd be thinking, that's that's where we good guys are. God, you don't need to turn up. That's not the issue of injustice. Surely you've come to the wrong place, haven't you? You can imagine, you know, after hearing Malachi's response, God's response through Malachi, they'd be going, no, no, actually we were saying, where is the God of judgment on those people over there? You know, you misunderstood us, Lord, at this point. You know, be careful what you pray for, because you might just get it. Because God goes on and gives the rest of his answer in two and following. Um, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? for he'll be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver and then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. And so I will come near you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless, deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, 
says the Lord Almighty. So God is going to show, no, I take evil seriously in two ways. Uh, Firstly, by refinement and then secondly, by judgment. For when the Lord Almighty comes, it's never harmless. The rhetorical question in verse 2, who's who's going to stand, just reminds us of how dangerous it is to have the holy God close to imperfect people. And so with a blazing passion, he is going to purify, first of all, the Levites. Um, That's just another another term for the priests. Um, if you were here before, we, we, we've previously seen they've been mocking his name. They were supposed to represent him and they've misrepresented him. And so in the same way that, that gold uh, or silver is dug from the ground and melted down to destroy imperfections, or, or the way in, in which a launderer, um, you know, in the days before washing machines when it was you know, kind of down by the river and beating rocks and uh, all that sort of stuff, the way they'd... You can tell I don't do the washing at home... They, they, the way they'd rub or scrub at a stone, uh, in the same way, the Levites are going to be purified. You know, the, the imperfections of the priesthood are going to be done away with, destroyed, and it's not actually a comfortable process. You know, if you're the impurity and you know the, the concept of being thrown into that furnace or being beaten and laundered, uh, that's not comfortable because imperfections are not external. It's who they are. And God starts with refinement because he's actually more interested in turning rebels into worshippers than just coming in judgement. See, these priests had prevented not just themselves but others from coming to God properly. And so God is going to refine the priesthood so that they could, there would again be sacrifices he could enjoy. See, Israel, Israel said, you know, God, where is the justice? Well, first God wants to set up a way for people to actually come to him acceptably before he deals with it finally. It means melting away that corrupt priesthood. For justice starts, first of all, with those who call on God's name. And justice is fulfilled in judgment. When in verse 5 God is drawing near to his people, it isn't comforting. He's coming to judge and destroy. I mean... The list there, it's not exhaustive. It's a broad brushstroke of people who live unjustly. Yeah, and God is going to demonstrate, yeah, I really do hate evil. And it means that, it means that he's got to judge those who practice evil. So I think we are very quick to draw that distinction between um, you know, sin and the sinner, the activity in the person. We're quick to say God loves the sinner but hates the sin. But I think that kind of separation fails to account for how the Bible describes our condition. We're actually intimately tied with our sin. God hates sin and therefore he hates those who practice it. Psalm 5.5 The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Who we are and what we do are actually not two separate things. They're tied together. So in Malachi 3.2, the question is asked, who's going to stand when you come? Well, clearly no one who does evil. Uh, As verse 5 expresses it, those who don't fear the Lord. Now, now given how uh, Israel had been treating God, how in chapter 1 they tried to trick God and show contempt for his name, they'd have to be worried. So the Lord is not pleased with evil like they accuse him. He actually hates it. But he is also profoundly committed to loving sinners at the same time as hating them. 
He's profoundly committed to loving them and he wants people to actually stand and endure on that day. And that day has come. So the promised messenger actually came. Uh, his name was John. We read a little of him, Matthew, the baptising one. Um, it's only a few pages later. Uh, but in our Bibles, what is a few pages is actually 500 years of, of real-time gap. Uh, in Matthew 3, John comes to prepare people for the day of the Lord's coming. He calls people to repent. In other words, start fearing the Lord, to, to stop practising injustice. And God prepares the way, uh, John sorry, prepares the way by pointing to the coming of God himself. So in Matthew 3, 11 and 12, I baptise you with water for repentance... But ask me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Lord, the Lord is coming to refine and to judge, is what John said. And then, round the corner comes Jesus. And when Jesus came, he did rebuke those priests, those leaders of the day, because like those 500 years before them, they thought they were right with God because they did heartless rituals. And just like those in Malachi's time, they looked forward to when God was going to come and judge those people over there. And Jesus walked right into the temple, you may recall, uh, and he called down a curse on those who made his temple into a den of robbers rather than a house of prayer. And you may remember that you know, Jesus, this you know, carpenter's son, fashioned himself a whip uh, from the curtain cords and drove out those who were destroying God's house. But more than that, Jesus refined the whole temple system far more dramatically. He did away with pointless sacrifices. Uh, he did it by sacrificing himself on a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. He offered up himself so that Malachi's promise of a time when acceptable sacrifice could be brought to God would actually be a reality. So imperfect people like you and like me could have our imperfections dealt with without paying that price we owe. In his life, Jesus spoke against those who did not fear God. And yet, the day has come, but the word of judgment is not complete. Malachi promised a day of the Lord that no one could endure. In that, in that coming of Jesus, the day arrives. But what we discover this side of the cross is it's the longest day of your life. Uh, the first time that uh, we as a family flew over to Ireland, uh, the twins were just turning two. They turned two in Singapore airport on the way back. Uh, Anna was four months pregnant with Matilda. Uh, and because of the twins' age, they didn't get a seat of their own, so we had the pleasure of nursing them for 36 hours of transition, uh, taking into account the, the joy of changing planes at uh, Singapore and Frankfurt. I reckon that was pretty close to the longest day of my life. Uh, it seemed, uh, at a lot of points, like it was never going to end. There is a day longer than that, the day of the Lord. The prophets of the Old Testament expected a day when God would turn up in person and judge and purify the earth and destroy those who didn't, didn't fear him and save his people all in one moment. The prophets were right, but the timing's not kind of usual. The day is not a 24-hour period when the day of the Lord comes. It's, instead, it's, it's the action of God. And we still live in it 
See, Jesus has come and he's begun the day. Purification, refinement is, is happening so we can actually be acceptable before him. And the judgment has begun to a degree where people hear of Jesus and some tragically reject him. The God of justice is extending that day, making it longer and longer because he doesn't take delight in seeing people judged. See, Israel looked at the injustice of the world and their question was, you know, where is the God of justice? They actually turned and questioned the character of God. God's answer is emphatic. I actually care about justice. And that's got to relieve us. Uh, a friend was recently uh, struggling with a colleague who had deceived him at work. Now, my friend was struggling not to sink into kind of that revenge vengeance mode. He spent some time reading Psalm 34 with his wife where, again, God is attentive to the cry of the righteous when they look for justice. And my friend found peace there, knowing that, yeah, God will deal with things. I actually don't have to take vengeance on him. See, it is right to pray for justice in this world. You know, the Psalms, the Bible is full of people who cry out with hurting hearts, wanting justice to come. And if you've ever cried out for justice, no matter what the reason, I want you to take comfort. God will act. But his answer and the way he will act turns the issue of this oracle on its head. See, they thought the issue was about the justice of God. The real issue, though, is how pure are his people? Who can stand when justice really comes? See, God was tired of their request because it was coming from people who weren't ready for him to come. I think we need to be wise. We need to learn from their mistakes when we make our requests. See, knowing the God of justice, be careful what you pray for. And I think, first of all, we need to be people who, who pray carefully for purity and refinement. Uh, I suggested last week that uh, faithfulness was hardly glamorous in our society or desirable. The more I reflected on things this week, I suspect there are very few virtues that really excite us. You know, purity, you know, wholehearted devotion to loving God and loving other people, it just doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Uh, you know, perhaps that's why we kind of snip at the edges of our sin rather than rip it out at the roots. Uh, Simone Weil, or Weil, uh, a 20th century French philosopher said, Imaginary evil is romantic and varied, but real evil is gloomy, monotonous, barren and boring. Imaginary good is boring, but real good is always new, marvellous, intoxicating. Uh, to, to put it another way, uh, greed is seductive, but actually living with a greedy person is awful. You know, but living a life where you're inventing ways of doing good all the time, new ways, and, and thinking up how to destroy sin is actually much more challenging and therefore more rewarding than retreading the old paths of selfishness and impurity. But a word of notice, be careful what you pray for, you might just get it. If and when you pray that God might refine you, Expect him to destroy your sin and that's going to hurt. Because the distinction between sin and sinner, uh, who we are and what we do is blurred. 
So when God answers that prayer, expect it to be painful. When the New Testament speaks of, of God refining his people, the method is trials and suffering. Now I know the times for me I've grown most in godly fear have been connected to hardship and suffering. And there are times that I look back now and I can thank God for, but I never would have knowingly prayed and asked for that situation. The second thing is that knowing the real cause of injustice of the world is actually us. Be slow to cry for justice. I think it would be wiser to pray that the God of justice mixed with mercy would come. You know, even if you're purified and ready, there are others who aren't. You know, now is the time for us and others to be ready, to be prepared for that final time. God is extending the day, not because he's slow, but because he's merciful and he wants your friends, your family, your neighbours to turn and be saved. Don't mistake mercy for indifference. You know, now is the time for them to be ready. Now is the time to you know, take advantage of the are you okay things to come and invite your friends uh, Friday night, next Sunday, you know, when Paul will speak in clear terms of the way in which they can be ready and okay with God. And 60 years ago, Elias Weissel stood in a German death camp and he wondered, where is God? Where is he? Where is God now? And I think the cry is right of the human heart when you're faced with evil and justice. But I think we'd be wise to learn another man who wrestled with the problem of evil, a guy called Habakkuk. Um, he saw injustice, he'd, he'd heard God's fearful answer of coming to bring, bring judgement and so this is his prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in your, our day, in our time make them known, in wrath remember mercy. In wrath remember mercy. Yeah, he was a man who was careful what he prayed for. And so as we face injustice, I think it's a prayer we should adopt. In wrath, remember mercy. Careful what you pray for. You might just get it. And who can stand when the Lord might come? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that in wrath, you might remember mercy. Father, carefully we ask that uh, we would be people who are refined by you, even though that's costly. We ask that you would be preparing us all the more uh, to be ready for your return. Uh, And we thank you for your son Jesus and the way he fixed up uh, the sacrificial system, fixed up the temple, that we can actually come and be right and stand before you, not because of our own goodness, but because of his perfections. Father, we ask that we would be people who, uh, when we see the injustices of this world, yes, we'd long for justice, but also be concerned for mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, there's a a tear-off slip at the uh, bottom of your notice sheet. There are pencils at the end of each aisle. If you've got um, questions or comments, prayer requests, just want to let us know you've been here. Now's a great chance Uh, To fill that out and tear it off, there'll be a chance for it to be collected when we sing again. Uh, But please take that chance and otherwise just spend a a few moments reflecting uh, and praying to God yourself.